All right. So just quickly for those of you that uh, weren't here last week or might have missed what's happening at the moment. Uh, so we're beginning a preaching series on the New Testament. Uh, so we believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. And so what we want to do with this is to reground people in the Word by giving an overview of each book of the New Testament, uh, starting last week with Matthew going right through to Revelation. Um, and just also through this, just to help uh, give give everyone an idea of... Um, just a, a way of looking at the background and the context of the Bible in a deeper way so that we can gain a greater understanding about who it was written to at the time and what the key messages are through that. Um, so I just want to quickly pray. Father, I just thank you for the honour of being able to share your word today. Uh, I just pray that you just help me to handle it. Um, you know, just really treasure what you've given us, Lord God, and handle it appropriately, Lord, and that you just speak through me today. Amen. Um, so this is probably the most notes I've ever written on a sermon before. Um, and just a couple of cautions, I think, for people um, just doing research into the the background of of Mark, I realised how easy it is if we don't actually have a grounding in the Word and understand what's been written and what's said in it, that it's so easy to be led astray by what's actually in there. Um, and this was highlighted even more so. You know, the internet is an amazing tool that we have available to us at the moment, but even as I was flicking through different uh, web pages on the Gospel of Mark, there was things that I'd come across and I'd be like, wow, that is way off the mark. Um, so without having understanding about what's actually in the Bible, it's very easy to come across things like that and be like, oh, wow, that's what the Bible's really saying. Um, and avoid Wikipedia at all costs as well. <laughs> I had a quick look at some stuff on there and that was just oh, not good at all. It was probably written by an atheist. And there was actually an assignment I did for um, Bible college this year. I um, was looking at some articles and I started reading through this one and it was an interpretation or a commentary on a particular passage. And I'm like, that's a really interesting insight. And then as I was reading through it, I just felt prompted to check the source because um, that was one of the things that they urged us is that we used reliable sources. And so I began to look up who this guy actually was and it turns out that this guy was an atheist. And I'm like, okay, we can cross that article off. We're not going to listen to his commentary. So be careful. And another tip for you, I learned a great Bible study tool uh, this this last week or two. Um, I've been listening to... Gospel of Mark on audio while I've been driving because I've been backwards and forwards to Bendigo quite a lot. And I've found as I've been listening, there have been questions popping up. And so if you're looking for a, a new way to study the Bible, if you haven't tried this before, I'd encourage you to listen to it on audio. And as questions come up for you, just write them down and that way you can go back to them and actually begin to read over those questions and dig deeper into them. 
otherwise it's it's very easy just to kind of have that question and then you know actually not go anywhere with it and not seek out the answers so some quick facts about mark fast facts mark is the shortest of the gospels and initially, it was the least popular of all the Gospels with early scholars due to the literary style that the writer of the writer and the lack of mention of significant events such as Jesus' birth, the Sermon on the Mount, and a large number of parables. Mark actually gained popularity later when it was realised to be the earliest written Gospel and that most likely it was one of the main sources of the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. This is due to around 93% of Mark's account being mentioned in those two books. The Greek word euthus, or in English immediately, straight away, or at once, is used around 41 times in Mark's gospel, highlighting the, uh, the very action-based style of Mark's writing. It's very fast-paced. Uh, originally Mark ended in the middle of verse 8 in chapter 16, which is where uh, the the women had gone to the tomb and discovered that it was empty, met the angel there, and then they ran away and they were afraid so they didn't tell anyone and that's where initially it ended. Um, and there's several different accounts as to why this was, um, one being that that's where Mark chose to leave it, Another being that uh, perhaps he was interrupted during his writing and was unable to finish. And another being that uh, the remainder of the text was lost. So that's been added in by scribes. But with the content that's added in there, it's actually been sort of checked against other writings and, and it lines up with the same style as what Mark was writing in. And so that's commonly accepted now as the ending of Mark. Um, so as the name of the book would suggest, although it's still under discussion uh, heavily with theologians and Bible scholars, um, the book of Mark was written by John Mark. Now John Mark's mother was Mary who had a house in Jerusalem which the disciples and the early church often met in. Mark was also the cousin to Barnabas and travelled with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but as some of you might remember, he turned back and got in Paul's bad books for quite a while, but later restored into his favours. Um, Mark was also a close companion of Peter, and in 1 Peter 5 verse 13, Peter affectionately refers to him as my son. Uh, One of the other little interesting things that is also debated about is uh, in in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested, there's mention of a young young man who uh, was there just wrapped in a bed sheet and a guard grabbed the sheet and he ran off and escaped into the night naked. Uh, One of the things that's discussed is that this particular character was Mark actually slotting himself into the gospel there. And um, also that this is how uh, it's revealed in that particular gospel, the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden, because he was on his own at that time. But the the thought there is that young Mark was actually there listening to what Jesus was praying while the other disciples were off sleeping. So just some interesting little bits and pieces. 
Um, and, and looking at different sources, it's interesting. Um, it's just trying to narrow down, uh, you know, what's what. There's a lot of different opinions around. Um, so, yeah, and all the more reason to be careful about what you're reading and where it's come from. Um, so, again, with who it's written to, this is also something debated, um, given that the common belief is that Mark was in, in Rome at the time and actually wrote the gospel based on Peter's accounts of his experience of walking with Jesus. Um, it's said that uh, this particular gospel was actually written to the Romans and one of the other reasons behind that is the language that's used in Mark's gospel that he, um, you know, he goes in to explain the Jewish customs, whereas if it was to a Jewish writer, they would already understand a Jewish custom. Um, he also uses uh, common language from the Roman culture in that time where he refers to uh, particularly uh, military terminology like Praetorian and the Centurions and things like that. Um, so one of the... One of the thoughts is that it's written to the Romans, but also more broadly speaking to the Gentiles. The other thought is that the Gospel of Mark is written to the Jews that were living outside of the area that Jesus ministered in at the time. And the other, the reasoning behind this thought is the detail that Mark goes into in his accounts. And firstly, this could be because it's coming from Peter as a source, that it's that it's able to actually have more detail in it than, you know, like the accounts of Mark, um, Matthew and Luke. Um, and, and so having that extra detail in there can help place the reader into that position of actually being there and seeing those miracles take place. Interestingly enough, um, I was sort of looking at the theme of Mark and there was a few things that came up. But if you break it down to the essentials, Mark is a gospel message. So a gospel message has Christ, the Messiah, as the central focal point of it. Um, and, and I guess I got thrown a bit of a curveball earlier in the week because I was sort of looking at it from a different perspective as to the theme. And... Um, and then sort of coming back to this, I'm like, well, yeah, that would make a lot more sense. Um, but I also want to look at a couple of the other sub-themes in the Gospel of Mark tonight as well. Um, so given that it's, it's a Messianic account, an account of Jesus the Messiah, you know, it, it's there to share the life, the death and resurrection of, of the Lord and to highlight who he is, that he was the Son of God, and the purpose for him coming was for the redemption of our sins. And so ultimately, regardless of the audience, that's the message that's underlying throughout the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus is the Messiah. And in this... Um, through the accounts that Mark has uh, of the miracles of Jesus, 
uh, there's something that, that comes out on several occasions that's referred to as the Messianic secret. Now, the Gospel of Mark is the only one of the, of the Gospels in which Jesus keeps his identity a secret. And in, in when he performs a miracle, he often says to the people, don't tell anyone about this. And I mean, let's say for the blind man, you know, or the leper, for instance, that he cleansed. You know, he's just been healed of an incurable disease that's left him outcast and Rob went into to leprosy a bit last week. And this guy's just been healed, something that does not happen. And Jesus tells him, see to it that you tell no one, but go and present your offering to the priest for the cleansing of um, that signifies you being cleansed of leprosy. But he says, tell no one. There's times where he casts out demons and they begin to speak and call out who he is. And, and he says, be silent. He prevents the demons from speaking out who he is. And, and several other accounts of where he performs miracles for people, he, he says to them, see to it that you tell no one about this. Because he's keeping his identity a secret until the appropriate time for it to be revealed. And we can see that point clearly in the Gospels. You know, Mark chapter 9, you know, Jesus begins to ask. And his disciples, you know, who do people say I am? After they've been walking with him for this period of time, he begins to ask them, who do people say I am? And they say the, you know, the popular thoughts of the time, the popular opinions. But then Jesus comes out, uh, sorry, Peter comes out and says, you're Christ, the Son of God. And... And from that moment on, you know, his, his identity is exposed. You know, six days later he takes John and um, Peter, James and John up onto the mountain where they actually see him revealed in his, in his fullness as the Christ on the Mount Transfiguration. And so there's this revelation of the identity of Christ and, and and an encounter as well. You know, Peter has this revelation as to who the Christ is. Um, after all this time journeying with Jesus, mind you, it wasn't a long time at all. You know, remember Jesus was only in ministry for three years before he was crucified. So if you look at the time that, that these guys were with him, you know, you're looking at maybe two years, two and a half years of Jesus' ministry leading up to this point. And, and so they've seen all these signs and the wonders and the miracles, they've heard the teachings, and it comes to this moment. Who do you say I am? And after Peter has that revelation, then Jesus takes him to the mountain mountain 
for an experience, you know, an encounter with the Almighty God. Um, you know, if if he even needed that revelation to be cemented more, you know, he gets to see Christ in all his glory. And even at that point, he still doesn't seem to quite get it because he says, you know, let's build a tabernacle for Elijah and Moses and you and we can all enjoy this time. So even after this revelation, he still doesn't quite get the significance of what he's just realised and seen. And I suppose even though Mark looks at Jesus the Messiah, you know, when we compare it alongside of the other Gospels, when you compare it alongside Matthew, which was written to, to the Jews to reveal Jesus as the Messiah, which focused very much on prophecy and the teachings of Jesus. And Mark, even though it's portraying the same message, goes about it in a very different manner. So being that it's very action-based, Mark, rather than focusing on the teaching of Jesus, tends to focus on what he actually did. And so throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see 19 accounts of miracles and only four parables to reflect this even further. So Mark was very much focused on what Jesus did. And so one of the sub-themes to his writing is Jesus the servant. You know, it came to reveal Jesus the Messiah and, and the way that he came as a servant, um, like uh, earlier on in the year, I uh, spoke a message on on greater than these, and one of the things that I tackled was, um, you know, one of the things that Jesus did was he served. Um, and. Uh, you know, we see this theme throughout Mark of the way that Jesus interacted with people. He came as a servant. Um, and, and a, like, if you begin to look at the context, uh, the cultural context behind it, um, you see the Roman culture is very predominant. Uh, also, the Greek culture is very predominant in society there, as well as the Jewish culture. Now, the Romans had taken over most, like a, a big part of the known world at that stage. And as a Roman, you possessed certain rights uh, as a Roman citizen. And generally, there were two ways to become a Roman citizen. The first was that you were born a Roman. And the second was that if you were wealthy enough, you could buy yourself citizenship. And so a Roman citizenship carried with it an air of prestige, an air of superiority. And you see that the way that they operated in, in their military as well. 
uh, given their ranks and, and things like that. Um, and so very much that dominant culture of Roman society was about oppressing those around you. Um, they were big fans of having servants and slaves. And so presenting a gospel with a saviour, with the Messiah presented as a servant, goes very much against the culture of the day. But in presenting that message, it's revealing something new to the, to the culture, to those people about the nature of God. You know, my, um, my understanding of, of Greek and Roman mythology is fairly limited, and most of it's drawn from the wrath of the Titans. But both the Roman and the Greek uh, religions tended to have 12 dominant gods. And then under that, they had a whole bunch of demigods and deities, and all of which were to be served by the people. And there's a lot of fear within that. And, and I suppose in a way it's like the Old Testament as well, um, that surrounding the law, there's a lot of fear motivation behind it. And so with all these gods, if they didn't serve them and keep these gods appeased and happy then they'd fall prey to the wrath of the gods and they'd be punished and bad things would happen unless they did what they had to do and try and appease the gods. And, and so all of a sudden onto the scene comes Jesus and the gospel message talks about Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, God as man. Someone that came not to place fear into the lives of people because they weren't serving him correctly, but someone who actually cared about humanity. Someone who came and actually served the people themselves. And like I can even relate to it in my own life with early perspectives of of how I saw, how I used to see the Father and how I used to view being a Christian. And, you know, there was times where it was very much like that. I had to do the right thing to keep God happy. If I didn't keep God happy, bad things would happen. If something bad was happening, it was because I'd done something wrong. And so to begin to hear a gospel that talks about a saviour that comes and instead of me being the one that has to, to make all the sacrifices, that has to keep the God happy, there's a saviour that actually comes and makes the way for me. You know, I can imagine being caught up in that culture, in that time, that would be something that would be earth-shattering. 
and it'd be a very hard concept to grab a hold because of what I've known for so long. But at the same time, it'd be something that I want a part of. And even along those lines of fear, you know, we see another theme that Jesus constantly brings out in moving people from fear to faith throughout Mark. You know, often he says, you know, do not fear or do not be afraid or ask the question of the disciples at times, why are you afraid? Do you still not have faith? Highlights the faith of uh, people as they come and receive the miracles from him. Of the lame man who was lowered through the ceiling, Jesus saw the faith of his friends and through their faith he was healed. The woman with the issue of blood came and touched him and though she was afraid, he still said to her, your faith has made you well. To Jairus, when his daughter had passed away, do not be afraid, only believe. And so we go from religion that's fear-based to Jesus calling into calling them into something that's faith-based. Just believe. Do not be afraid. And so he's revealing himself to these people as a servant, as a God that actually cares about people to move them from fear to faith. Do not be afraid. Only believe. So for us, what can we take home from Mark? And look at I think what I think is one of the key passages in Mark as Jesus the servant. And it tells the account of of James and John when they came to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? They replied, Let us sit. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And he says to them, you do not know what you are asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Tongue twister. Uh, We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cups I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those whom they have been prepared And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And for me, this passage sums up Jesus the servant. It sums up why he was here. 
uh, in accordance with Mark's account. You know, he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And, you know, Rob touched on last week or, or spoke about how the Jews were expecting the Messiah to be a military leader that came and freed them from the grasp of the Romans. But instead, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we begin to read through and, and look at, at Jesus the servant, we can begin to follow his example that he set for us. You know, he, he made himself perfectly obedient to the Father, that he only did what he saw the Father do. He only said what the Father told him to say. In the garden, as he knelt down on the ground in agony, he said the words, not my will but yours be done. He made himself the perfect servant. And even times when the crowds came, one of the things that that continues to stand out to me is that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. You know, he's a man who's been teaching all day, he's been healing the sick, casting out demons, and he's tired and weary. Yet when he sees the crowds, he has compassion on them. And so maybe next time someone comes to us with a need and we're feeling tired and we're feeling weary and we're feeling like it would really be an inconvenience, Maybe we can remember Jesus the servant and begin to lay down our lives to others. What kind of impact would it have for a community to see a church that serves? You know, I know that's very much a heart of Epicenter and that's something that we love to do. You know, seen through the girls' brunch, Christmas spec, uh, the op shop with the, with the funds that it donates to different things. But what else can we do as a, as a church, as a body, to be a church that serves? What opportunities come across you from day to day where you think, I don't really want to do that, that would be inconvenient for me? What opportunities to serve do we take that will actually glorify God? You know, Jesus chose to reveal himself as a Messiah through servanthood. So what can we do to reveal Jesus the Messiah through servanthood? And I'll leave you with that thought. What can we do to serve that reveals Jesus the Messiah? Thanks. Thanks, Nath. Who's enjoying the series so far? Me too. just want to leave you with this Quick thought from, from Nath's message uh, as far as Jesus the Messiah. We've all got people in our world that we get to serve or we have the opportunity to serve, but so often, some or whatever reason it is, we pass it by. And I heard someone tell me this story ages ago where the, them and someone else were walking through this supermarket on the way out and there was someone there, like as they were passing, and I can't remember the complete details of it, but basically they looked at each other and said, 
someone should pray for that person. And then like, well, maybe we should pray for God to send someone to pray for that. And they got in the car and then they decided to pray. Let's pray, God, that you send someone to pray for that person. And then it hit them <laughs> that they were the people. And so often I think that we all walk around with winkers on and completely like miss. It's, oh, God, go and send someone to that person. Go and send someone to that person. Or my neighbor's lawns need mowing. God, give him a lawnmower. Or like, um, but I think we've got our winkers on to think that it's got to be someone else rather than it's, it's the, it, if we've just noticed it, how about we go out and do it? In the, in the, in the, in the movie, I think like Jim Carrey, what was it? Um, Bruce Almighty. The big, one, one of the big statements was, I, I think that Morgan Freeman, who was playing God, said, if you see a need, fill a need. If the need has been, if you've noticed a need, do something. If you've noticed someone needs prayer and it's burning on your heart to where you're like, God, send someone, pray for them. If, if you've noticed that your neighbor's lawns need mowing and they're not being mown, go and mow them. If, if you notice someone needs a hand um, getting into in and out of a bus, give them a hand. If you notice someone needs a hand um, taking their shopping to and from the supermarket, give them a hand and do it. Let's be a practical church that operates as Jesus the Messiah, as a servant and looks at the needs of people and practically outworks those needs and serves and loves our community that way. That's what Jesus brought and that's what Jesus demonstrated. Jesus didn't demonstrate a Messiah that had winkers on. Jesus demonstrated the Messiah that actively goes and serves people. Let's be a church that serves. Um, Stand up, please, and and let me pray. God, I thank you for that beautiful demonstration that we we see that that you laid forth for us, Jesus, through the book of Mark, God, that um, Nate's got to bring to us tonight, where we see this outworking of you as a servant, Father of you going here and there and always looking for someone to serve Jesus, to love on. And I thank you for that quote that um, whoever wants to be great must be your servant and it should be a fight for us to serve people, Father. And God, I pray that what happens in, in this place, Jesus, out of this body, Father, is that we become people that want to go out and serve people and it becomes a fight to serve people, Jesus. But not, not a fight to where we get arrogant, God, but... We're just so hungry to go and serve people. And our only motivation is that we want to serve people and love people through servanthood, God. So I pray that as we read through Mark, Jesus, I pray that the challenge is set forward to us, God, that we look for deliberate opportunities to love people through servanthood, Father. And I pray that every time we see a need, Jesus, we see a need that we've been given the authority and the ability to go and fill. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I will be back here next week with the book of Luke. I think I'm excited. We'll see how we go. Any, anyways, go out, have a great week, catch up with one another, find someone to practically serve. Love you, church. <laughs>